0: 4th of July, everybody. This is the Odd Man Rush Podcast, episode 6, episode 4 of our team uh, podcast uh, today. Like we talked about last week, we previewed it. We will be talking about the Colorado Avalanche. Um, again, I'm Jared McCabe. My co-host is Caden. How's it going, man? Happy 4th of July, Jared. <laughs> same to you, same to you. So, like I said, we're going to talk about the Colorado Avalanche uh, today. But like we always do to begin podcasts, we are going to go around the league. So we're going to go, we'll start with this. A couple shows ago, we talked about how, um, actually, I think this was our second episode, I think. Where kind of like the hub, they listed the 10 cities of bubble cities that could potentially host the qualifying and the playoffs and the cup final. Oh, this was episode one. Episode one. Okay. Uh, oh well anyway so they 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 were very proactive about this because i gotta give the nhl credit on this if you see the teams not the teams the leagues that came out with potential cities for their respective leagues it only seemed like they had one city in mind like the nba like orlando which makes sense for where they're playing but if you look at MLB, they didn't even go bubble, but for the NHL, they literally came out with 10 cities, pros and cons, show me an offer, how you can prove that your city's safe for a, a long playoff run, and I gotta give the NHL credit there, because they really came up with 10 cities that they thought would be good, They the cities pitched their idea, and so on and so forth. So, after that long blabber that I just said, um, Edmonton and Toronto are the two hub cities. And before I get Caden's opinion, I'll just kind of break it down from what I was thinking to what the facts are. So what it basically came down to is we'll start off in Edmonton. Edmonton is roughly behind Detroit as the newest arena in the NHL, Rogers arena. It is in Edmonton where it's a small city kind of town and you could call it in Canada that, out of I looked this up and I did research on it because I didn't want to sound stupid, but out of all the country of Canada, Edmonton has the smallest amount of COVID cases in Canada. So that made sense. Edmonton, new arena. It's an up-and-coming city. Um, it has the training facility right then and there in Rogers Arena. Uh, there is a five-star hotel that is right across that's walking distance from Edmonton, uh, Rogers Arena. And there's nice amenities around for the players that they can walk around to. Obviously, it's a bubble, so, like, you want to stay protected. But the outside amenities were big time for the NHL and these players because, obviously, the players don't want to sit in their hotel room every single hour after every practice or game. So, there, I guess there was a nice, nice attractiveness to... Um, Edmonton being one of the hub cities. So the West will go to Edmonton for their qualifying and playoff rounds. And then Toronto. Toronto was mixed, was a very mixed city when it came to these uh, decisions because the rumors once this all happened was Vegas was ultimately gonna get a city. And then you saw the recent COVID spikes in the United States, especially Vegas, Arizona, Texas, and Florida. So that got them out of the running. So it all made sense to send it all up to Canada because Canada has had a decent amount of COVID cases, not as crazy as the United States. And it seemed like a couple of weeks ago, Toronto was completely out of it. For some reason, their offer, their pitch wasn't as good enough to maybe the other cities were. But then you come around two weeks later and they are a hub city. So same thing, Toronto will be the East team. I guess it had enough amenities to support a bubble. And a lot of people in the NHL, general managers were like, but we don't, that shouldn't be right because they don't want the Maple Leafs to have home ice and they don't want the Oilers to have home ice. Does it really matter? Does it really matter? Because there's no fans in the stands and it's just a locker room and an ice. That's it. (laughs) That's it. With amenities. That's it. And I think the other factor came into play is you have probably five of the biggest brands in the NHL, the Rangers, the Bruins, the Flyers, the Capitals. Uh, You could even put the Islanders in there. You could even put uh, the Lightning in there. You got premier, premier uh, franchises on the East Coast of the United States. You do not want to send half of them to Edmonton where their puck drop could be at 10 o'clock local time at night you're just going to lose out on money you're going to lose out on fans watching those games so i think it was important to get the east team on an east coast uh trend and plus come on they're all humans why would you want to send players that play on the east coast all the way to the west coast have their body uh try to factor in that difference of time it just wouldn't make sense so i applaud the nhl for getting this done Uh, making it work for all the teams for the West Coast and the East Coast and just a little nugget too. If everything stays the same, Edmonton will host the Stanley Cup Final. So that is how the hub cities are broken down.
1: Well, um, I remember how we talked about, I think it was when Vegas was looked at as the clear-cut one city. And uh, and we mentioned that the Rangers and Islanders look like they're going to be going to Vegas. Um, so that was, it's not that much of a swerve. And I like the idea of them going to Toronto. Like I don't want to stay up till ten when I possibly have work the next day, just to watch a period of the Rangers play. Well, at least if they're usually playing at eight, because you expect the big teams like the Bruins, the the Rangers, the Flyers, the Capitals, maybe even the Maple Leafs to get this prime time slotting but teams like uh like Florida Nashville
0: Nashville
1: Florida like Florida and the Islanders yeah no one's going to they're going to put that on like relatively early you can even say the same thing like at, it is their home ice but when you're looking at teams like the Rangers and the Bruins and like a lot of these um higher up teams you could even put Toronto relatively on early but, like, you want the Rangers in that late time slot because you know they're going to watch for those big players. Same with the Bruins. You want to get those Bruins in a good time slot where everyone's not at work or everyone's just free from work or everyone's free to do what they can and to watch them, like, watch them play their hockey. And the same thing can be happening with, like, the West Coast. Like, the West Coast is different time zone, so you might see teams who you see more, like Colorado, who we're doing today, uh Dallas, like a lot of the, the, the four teams, the one of the, like, the four teams like St. Louis, Dallas, Colorado, Vegas, you could see them going on early because it's going to be the times. The times are going to be different. So you can see them going on early for people like the East, but you can see teams like Calgary and Minnesota going on later because no one's going to watch those games. Or no one might want watch those games. because Yeah,
0: I wouldn't say people don't want to watch it because once hockey's back, sports are back, and people have been waiting for this for months. <laughs> it's going to be lowered down on their like watch
1: list, but like teams like, like I said, the Rangers and Colorado Rangers.
0: Even like the Winnipeg Jets are going to go on later. The Jets are going to go on later. You could even make this argument that out of all the teams, the one big team is in the Western Conference, and that's the Chicago Blackhawks. They have yep. the one of the biggest fan bases in all of America, and they're one of the biggest brands, and they're going to be in the West Coast. I can guarantee you they will go up against any Big East team. Again, I don't know how these networks are going to do it, like NBC, but I don't know if they'll stagger them so then you don't miss any minute of any action, but... That's probably one of the biggest teams not located in the east that's going to have a lot of prime time games, especially if they make the playoffs.
1: Plus, the Oilers they're playing the Oilers as well, which gives the Blackhawks like, like oh, it's it's McDavid versus Kane, yeah, which is uh, gonna be a fantastic, like, um uh showing so i'm excited to see toronto and Edmonton. as you may remember in episode one when we were talking about our two hub cities i know you said chicago and la and they aren't that and i said edmonton and vegas or i said i said toronto and vegas i said edmonton and vegas i said one of those two teams i said i know it's a canada team i know it's a vegas uh so i was right about one of them (laughs) i was right about one of them that's all that matters but looking forward, it's, it's we're slowly, slowly coming back. We are only six days away from
0: the training camps. So we're this much closer. And one little thing bef- uh, to wrap up this part of Around the League. Um, I think it's important to note, too, like I said, when uh, you want big-time teams on good local time uh, puck drops, Cause there could be a lot of instances where the game before just say the Rangers and the Canes that the game before then goes into overtime. Like that's why it's very important to have the East teams in Toronto and the West in Edmonton. Again, it is confirmed, but I just think it's a point that needs to be made that you want to set it up for the fans. So then they have an opportunity to watch their team. That's all it is. Cause They're all in the same building, and there's going to be plenty of games that could go to overtime, and I think we're going to see a lot of them when they come back because they're still kind of getting the rust off. So that's what it comes with with the hub teams. Now, I'm glad you brought up training camp. Uh, I apologize. I can't remember the source and the report that I saw it from, but there are reports that training camp is going to get pushed back just a couple of days in July, because last time we talked, there was a big thing about how now the players were trying to get the CBA done for the upcoming year or next year, so they can get that out of the way. And that's, that's one of the major uh, reports that are coming out why it got pushed back. And now, what's part of this new CBA, which I think a lot of hockey fans are going to really, really love is that they can return to the olympics. And we know how all that started where I believe it was Ovechkin that says it he didn't even care if he got fined or suspended. He was going to go over to Russia to play for his home country. Like a lot of people a lot like a lot of athletes not even hockey just any sport they take pride in re- representing their country. And us fans love those hockey tournaments when the the Winter Olympics come around because you always – you bleed the color of your country. And if this comes back, I literally cannot wait. Again, we root for the U.S. The team – especially if this does come back, I can already picture our episodes breaking down or making up our own U.S. roster just because we got some good youngsters that will make this team, and you have to leave off some that would be a little bit hard. And we could even do that with Canada too, just because they're always stacked. But basically what I'm saying is, is I think this is what the NHL should do. It'll get some eyeballs on their players. And it's always one of those things, especially for the fans that they always enjoy, even if Canada always destroys the U.S. or any other team. But um, it's always really an exciting tournament to watch. And I think it's really something the NHL should try to implement in this new CBA.
1: Uh, Man. I, I, uh, the last time that they were in, I think was 2011, I want to say, the last time I remember seeing them play in the Olympics, and then after that was the World Cup of Hockey in 2016, but, um, man, if we get, uh, Olympic hockey back, like, actual Olympic hockey, Not these kids from college and not these rookies from Canada playing in the WHO and the OHL and then Russia being stacked with people from the KHL. Actual hockey, like Zuccarello going to Norway, Roman Yossi going to Switzerland. Then they got like Austin Matthews, Patrick Kane, Jack Eichel on Team USA, and then you got like Connor McDavid and Nathan McKinnon on Team Canada. You could see see another golden goal. And this time, let's hope and pray it's for Team USA. <laughs> Man, I'm so upset about that game. I'm so <laughs> upset, but you know what? Okay, well, you know what? I'm so upset about that game, but let's just hope that it Let's just hope that it's 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 really true and not just another rumor.
0: And again, we're really biased because <laughs> we root for Team USA, and I think out of all the years I've watched. With a lot of the young talent that's been infused into the NHL, especially the young Americans, probably one of our best rosters ever. Ever.
1: Johnny Sense. Goudreau.
0: Johnny Goudreau. Uh, Austin Matthews. Patrick Kane's probably the best American to ever step on ice for hockey. Like, it's not even close, in my opinion. Um, and you've just got all these other great kids. Jack Eichel. JT like, Miller. JT Miller. Like, it's. I need it back. I would I would love to have it back. And it just, again, it gives us a good shot of possibly winning for the first time in a long time. <laughs> and this is our best roster. The, the, the possible roster that we would have
1: is possibly our best since the Golden Goal incident. And if not that,
0: Miracle on Ice. No, I think it goes back to Miracle on Ice. I think personally, I don't know this may rough a few feathers, but the Miracle on Ice, like, I was like, Dying to win that game. But at the end of the day, I just knew that Canada was going to pull through just because they're Canada. And I just think... Golden Golden. goal. I meant golden goal. My bad. And I just... I don't know. I just... Again, you can look at Canada this year. Olympics had the NHL come back. They're scary as well. So I don't even know. But yeah. Yeah. That was around the week, like we always do, to begin our uh, podcast. So now, we already did a top team in the West in the St. Louis Blues. And now we're going to go to arguably, probably, not named the St. Louis Blues, the best West team, and that's the Colorado Avalanche. So, I'll recap their season. Again, they played 70 games. They won 42 of those. Take a guess of how many losses they had. Just take a wild guess if you don't have that anywhere on your notes or something. Uh, I don't. Um, I'm going to go, like, 20. That's correct. 42 and 20. How many uh, overtime losses do you think they had? Uh, I know they had at least five. Well, they had eight. 42-28 42-28 equals up to 92 points. Uh, obviously, their goals uh, leading candidate was Nathan McKinnon with 35. Uh, Gabriel Landisgaard came in second with 21. And Borovkowski came back with 20. Assists McKinnon led by landslide, 58. Cole McCarr came in second with 38. And Samuel Gerrard came in with third with 30 assists. And points again, another landslide. McKinnon 93, McCarr 50, Burafkowski 45. That was their recap. They were probably one of the best teams going into this pause. Uh, they won a big game against the Rangers to conclude the season. Um, Nathan McKinnon's probably one of my favorite players, not on um, one of my favorite teams. Uh, He's just so electric with the pucks, got great vision, and uh, just a great all around great team. Uh, so storylines going into the playoffs slash storylines of the season. Um, Nathan McKinnon, obviously face of the franchise guy for Colorado. They were one of the many teams that were flying high into, um, the end of the pause. Um, so basically everything's centered around McKinnon and Landis, and Cole McCarr now, because Cole McCarr had a really great rookie season. Basically the only thing I can really come the conclusion with this is: Can they live up to the hype? Because outside of the Blues, they're easily the second best team in the West. Numbers prove that. And can they just do what they've been doing all year? They got a great supporting cast around McKinnon. They got goal scorers. They get guys that can pass. They got guys that can score, not need McKinnon, but um, just everything around it is: Can players step up when they need to, not need Nathan McKinnon? Because. I've, I've watched a couple of Avalanche games this year where I felt the team was great. They were best. They were probably one of the fastest teams in the league. But there's always that one part where I'm like, can someone score outside of McKinnon? That's the only flaw I feel like they have. And I think Landis Scott can prove that. I think uh, Rantini can prove that. Even the Burvkoski can uh, prove that. So, really good team. Again, they were flying high like every other team. But I think this team's going to be a tough out in the playoffs. This is my, the Avalanche
1: are my team to win the Stanley Cup in the West. And I think I said in episode one, they are my full on winner of the Stanley Cup, of the COVID Cup, the COVID Cup. (laughs) (laughs) They are my team
0: to win it all. I have Uh, a winner. I remember before we even started this show, you kept on saying, bro, I I think it's the Avalanche versus maybe the Flyers or maybe even the Lightning. Like You kept on saying avalanche, 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 so this isn't just the first time you said it. You said it during the season. So, And the avalanche
1: are slowly growing on me as one of my favorite teams to watch as obviously the New York Rangers are number one, the Winnipeg Jets are number two, and I think if I had to pick a third,
0: it'd be the Colorado Avalanche. And I I can completely understand that because I remember back in college, I get what month it was, but... It was between the Lightning and the Avalanche in Denver, okay? And these two were the two best teams currently outside of the Blues in the West and the Boston in the East. And everyone knows when you think of the Lightning and you think of the Avalanche, you think of two really fast-paced teams that want to dump and chase and that want to just go out and just play really well. And man, were they fast! All those players on the ice were insanely fast, and it just felt like a Stanley Cup preview in my eyes. Again, the Bolts could just blow it again, like they did last year, and not even make it to the Stanley Cup final. But that would, at that point, I was like, "Wow, these two teams were really good, especially with the way they play. They play the same style of hockey, and they're both really, really fast." So. Colorado's emerging as one of the best teams in the league and one of the teams that are going to be getting a lot of fans just because of a guy like Nathan McKinnon. So now... Well, I was going to say one thing. I don't know
1: who could beat them. And I know that's saying something stupid. Like, oh, you're just being biased. You're an Avalanche fan. I'm not an Avalanche fan. And I'm being curious. Like, besides the Blues, out of the Blues, who can beat the Avalanche?
0: I don't know, but I. At least in the West. At least in no, the West. No, I know. I know. I get that. I get that. I get that. I just. I haven't always been a big starters guy, and you know that. But like I keep on saying, everyone's on the same playing field. I would not be shocked if any of these top teams get upset just because of all the circumstances. But I. I could see the Stars possibly being an upset contender against any of these top teams. I think they're always put aside because they're the Dallas Stars because they always seem to fall short when they seem like they're one of the best teams in the league. So I wouldn't be shocked if the Stars could upset them, but I agree that the Avalanche are going to be a tough, tough out. And the last thing I want to say is that
1: if they don't win it this year, I see the Colorado Avalanche winning the Stanley Cup in the next two to three years
0: if they get the Easily. right pieces and
1: free agency
0: absolutely absolutely the,
1: the only thing they would actually need if we're gonna, as i'm going to get into later with my disappointment they need goal attending
0: that's, so the, that's the last thing they need so there you have it try to put the pieces together from when we get to who his disappointment is so i'll take it put it back to you Caden. um uh, give everyone their key additions, key subtractions uh, players that possibly they got the deadline and stuff like that.
1: This team, uh, stayed relatively the same. Uh, had a couple additions and subtra- additions and subtractions. So you can add this as an addition. Cause it just came out of college, Kale McCarr, uh, 50 points. He, uh, again, talk about him later, put pieces together, if you will. Uh, So some additions, Pierre-Edward Belmar, he signed a two-year extension on July 1st. Jonas Donskoi signed a four-year extension. Uh, Nazim, signed not four years. He signed four years in. Same with Belmar, signed two years in. Uh, Kadri was traded to the Colorado Avalanche for Tyson Berry and Alex Kerfoot, who are two key subtractions. Uh, Andre Burakovsky was acquired from the Washington Capitals. And then uh, the last one who was, Acquired on deadline day was Vladislav Nemestikov from the Ottawa Senators. And they drafted Mikko, they signed Miko Ranson to a six year extension. They signed Samuel Girard to a seven year extension. And they drafted players like Alex Newhook and Boehm Byram in the last draft. Boehm Byram went fourth overall, and Alex Newhook went 16th overall. Newhook will be returning to Boston College for another season. and Environment looks like he will be invited to training camps for the Colorado Avalanche, from what I've seen. Uh, some other uh, subtractions, Carl Soderbergh was traded to Arizona, and Semyon Varlamov on July 1st signed a four-year contract for the Islanders, making him their starting goaltender after they lost, after they lost Robin Leonard last year. And as I mentioned, another key addition, who took the spot of Tyson Berry is Keon McCarr.
0: Absolutely. I don't think any team would take Cole McCart over Tyson Berry right now. I don't even think it's close. <laughs> and this was, his, and I
1: just found this amazing. This was McCar's first season jumping out of college.
0: Exactly. So those were the key additions, key subtractions of the Colorado Avalanche. So now like we always do, we start off with a team MVP. And I think, kind of obvious of who the team MVP is. So I'm just going to go first quickly. I'm not really going to – I think Kaden will bring up the numbers for you. I just – I think we all can agree it's Nathan McKinnon. It's not even – No, serious. it's obviously Pierre-Edward Belmar. Okay, Obvi- don't, don't be disrespectful.
1: <laughs> it's Nathan McKinnon. It's McKinnon.
0: But um, uh, I think Kaden's going to bring up the stats. So I'm just going to say that Nathan McKinnon is obviously the MVP of this team. Like, he could even – uh, he's in the running for the MVP of the league, but obviously it's not going to go to him. Uh, you put him up with the likes of Connor McDavid and, uh, yeah, Connor McDavid. That's it. And it's it's crazy how people try to compare the two. Obviously, you can because they're very similar in age, and they're both taking their teams by storm by proving that they're the best players on their team by far. But it's just funny how they score differently. McKinnon has a better supporting cast and. He, find, he has great vision, has great hands. When he has the puck, he knows that he can break out with speed and just beat the defense and beat the goaltender. And The Avalanche get a lot of their goals from the circle. They move it around, and they try to move it to the high slot. That's how McKinnon gets his goals. And it's just the top-tier talent that he just has. It's just undeniable, and he's easily one of the – He's easily top two players in this league. I've always side Team McKinnon because I think he doesn't get enough credit for what he does. Because all the eyes are on Connor McDavid, which is, which is honestly, it's respectable and it's fair. But I've always been Team McKinnon just because he doesn't get that limelight than Connor McDavid does, and he he easily deserves as much or more than Connor McDavid. So for my team MVP, it's Nathan McKinnon. I think we all can agree it's not even close. But uh, it's definitely a player that's going to get the MVP in the NHL pretty, pretty soon. if it's not this year, it's definitely going to be at least next year because I don't think anyone's stopping him anytime soon.
1: Uh, so like you mentioned, I do have the, the stats. I'm a big stats guy. Uh, first thing I want to point out before I get into the stats,
0: he's 24 years old. Yeah, and I just turned 21, and look at the numbers that he's putting up in the HL right now. <laughs> and we're sitting here doing a podcast. Yeah, talking about <laughs> him. Nathan McKinnon is, I'm
1: four years younger than Nathan. I'm like four or five years younger than Nathan McKinnon, and he's out there putting up. Uh, so his stats are 69 games played, he played 69 games this year. He had 35 goals, 58 assists for 93 points. Seems like a down year for him. Because last year, uh, 17 the 17, 18 season, he put up 97 points. In the 18, 19 season, he put up 99 points. Uh, McKinnon, obviously the first line center. He averaged 21 minutes and 13 seconds on ice per game uh, for total time on ice for the season. Easily an MB, easily the Hart Trophy nominee, uh, Hart Trophy nominee top three candidate. And he's my trophy winner. So I have him winning the Hart. Uh he had so I always bring up the game winning goals. He had four of them. Uh he had twelve power play goals. I mean he he's a not the biggest power play guy, but he had twelve of them. Uh he had thirty eight takeaways for his fifty-three giveaways and he had twelve penalty minutes for the whole season. He is one of the most disciplined players you ever watch. And if he gets a like a bad if he messes up, you can tell that he's like he wants to get better with every penalty. Like there's a lot of players out there like a Tom Wilson, who will get a penalty, and they're, they're, but their job is to agitate people, like a Brendan Lemieux or a Tom Wilson. Their goal is to get the penalty minutes and to stack them up because they're the guy that you want to go hit, the guy you want to go draw these penalties if you're drawing penalties. But you obviously don't um, get in through only 12 minutes' worth. He's just fantastic. There, there, there's nothing that I can say – that you already said about Nathan McKinnon, he is one of the most electric players you would watch in this game today. And uh, he is one of the greatest players to ever watch in this league next to Connor McDavid. Next to, to, in his young times, Patrick Kane. When Uh, Patrick Kane was a lot younger, Patrick Kane.
0: I just wanted to ask this question. I I wasn't going to save it for the end just because I want to ask you quickly. I know you're a big McDavid guy, and I'm a big McKinnon guy. What When you watch both of their games, why do you go, I'm Team McDavid instead of Team McKinnon? Even though you like both, but like, if you had to pick one, you're McDavid. Just kind of like why do you pick McDavid over McKinnon?
1: They're so similar.
0: These two players are so similar.
1: If you watch their games back-to-back, <laughs> McKinnon is a pure finisher. I think mcdavid got the speed over McKinnon. I think he's got the speed edge over McKinnon by just a bit. If you watch the last couple All-Star games and in their, in their um, competitions, McDavid was the former fastest skater just recently taken over by Matt Barzell. Uh, I think his record was about 12-something. So that's just fantastic. I, I think that... Um, plus, one thing that you can look at McKinnon, he's got a supporting cast... Like McDavid and Edmonton, you watch the reason I I choose McDavid over McDavid a lot more is because when you watch McDavid, you're only watching McDavid. He's the he, like you have before Drysaddle had his really great breakout season. You were only watching Connor McDavid. He was the he was the bread and butter of Edmonton. When you said Edmonton, you immediately thought Connor McDavid. You didn't think Leon Drysaddle. You didn't think Zach Cassian. You didn't think Yari Korea. You didn't think Tyler Benson or uh Oscar Fleffbaugh, you thought of Connor McDavid straight up. And and that's why you you're not really watching the team around him passing the puck. He's the one who's making these plays happen. And I just think that without Connor McDavid, Edmonton would still be a bottom-dwelling team. Even if they even if they had Dry the Edmonton Oilers would be a bottom-dwelling team. They'd be one of the worst teams in the league next to the Detroit Red Wings and the Ottawa Senators.
0: I you I could make this counter-argument saying, but did you watch this past year? Because McDavid had Dreisaitl that literally, like, blew, like no one saw this coming. Like, you could even look down the, the stats for these players with the avalanche. Like, McKinnon blows everyone out. Everyone out in any statistical category, at least with dry you have like you have McDavid has Dreisaitl on his on his left, so that's that's where a counter argument could be begin because hey, McDavid has dry now. Yes, you could say Landis guy is great, but and Ranton and Ranton is great, but McKinnon blows by everybody, everybody, and I don't know. It's an argument that's kind of like one of those basketball arguments of, like, who would you rather have today, like a LeBron or a Kawhi or a LeBron-KD. It's literally similar just like this. And,
1: and it's hard to pick. Uh, the reason, I again, I say like David is that when you look at the Colorado Avalanche, yes, McKinnon blew them out of the water, but he has a big supporting cast. He has a Cal McCarr. He has a Samuel Girard. He has a Miko Rantan. He has a Gabriel Aniskog. And he's not even, like, he's not one of the go-tos. If McKinnon's, because also the Avalanche did have a lot of injuries, which I know you might talk about later. Um, but he also has on his second line Nazim Kadri, Nazim Kadri and Andre Burakowski. So he has a big supporting cast. Below no,
0: that, that's, that's obviously that you, no one can dispute that. But I'm just saying that you can say when you watch the Oilers, you just watch for McDavid, which, is, again, is true. But you just had Leon Dreisaitl and they're, his big year. And now you can go on Google and type in Leon Dreisaitl and Conor McDavid. Now everyone's talking about, oh, my God, they may be the best duo since, since Crosby and Malkin. Like, it was one year for Dreisaitl. Look up the stats. He's been good, but he hasn't been this great. And it's only been one year, so I I I ho, I'd slow hold down the break. Yeah, hold the horses, just yeah. If he does this next year, then oh my god, oh my god. But so that was our team MVP. I wanted to get in McDavid there just because I think it's always a great discussion to have. If so you no, don't mind,
1: yeah, go ahead. May I start with my surprise player for the final? No, I, I you, no, I
0: you. no, no. I was gonna I was gonna hand it over to you anyway for your surprise oh. player. So go ahead. You are two
1: steps ahead of me. <laughs> It's um, – I know that you had some different looks at for your surprise player, but this is, again, the first time we don't have the same surprise player. Uh, I have Kale McCar, and I'm going to mention him earlier on. Uh, so, Kale McCarr had 57 games played, 12 goals, 38 assists, for 50 points. Like McDavid, 12 pounds minutes. He averaged 21 minutes time on ice on the dot. 34 takeaways for 40 giveaways. Uh, he had four game-winning goals, like McKinnon as well. He's playing next to Ryan Graves, former Rangers draft pick traded for I think scraps, and now he's Ryan Graves is their best is their like best lockdown defenseman. Uh, he's on as I mentioned from McCarr, first pair in their D, and he's also top in the power play. Uh, next to Quinn Hughes, he's easily the rookie of the year, but Quinn. Quinn Hughes, not Quinn Hughes. Kale McCarr is my rookie of the year. Uh, drafted fourth overall in twenty seventeen, he was coming out of college, came out of UMass Amherst, and this is pretty cool. I actually saw Kale McCarr play in person. Uh, played Kale uh, McCarr's UMass Amherst team played against Merrimack College, my college, and just watching McCarr just play in person is just a, a sight to behold. He <laughs> is. Hey, he's pure. He's a pure, uh, pure skater, and with UMass, UMax had a lot of good weapons, but Kale McCarr was the one who stuck out always. He was just, oh, he was good. He was very good. I, I really can't say much. But he's a fantastic player, blistering speed, and he's only twenty-one years old. And you look, and another thing I want to mention about this Colorado Avalanche team—they are so young. And they have a they virtually have a dynasty on their hands. It's just how Joe Sackick and Jared Bedner finish. It's just how they it's just how they coach and how he manages the team. But Kale McCart is my rookie, my not only rookie of the year, but he's my surprise player. Fantastic player, if you watched him, he was always out there. He was always seemingly getting a point every game. Like I said, 50 points, almost a goal, almost a point per game. In the last game of the season, he notched 50 points. On the last play, assist on the last goal of the last game for the Colorado Avalanche to notch off 50 points. Uh, I just, man, he was such a fantastic player this year. And I expect a high, I expect high, I have high, high hopes for Kel
0: McCarr in the near future. I've sent you a post from... um... Instagram from the NHL who did like the top twenty like defensemen going into the playoffs, and like I always have a love for deep uh, for uh, defenders in hockey. I don't know why. Just a lot of my favorite players from other teams are defenders. And with the emergence of Cole McCarr long time down the road, I can't wait to just do like top ten defenders in the league because I guarantee you he'll be top five by time we do this. By, by just, time we do that list,
1: I wanna I wanna bring up the the list that you sent me. I have it pulled up here. This is according to, uh, N- the NHL, um, he has ranked eighth on this list, and, <laughs> he, can, and he can arguably rank a little higher. Uh, I'm just gonna quickly go down the list. Uh, Hedman ranked first, Yossi second, John Carlson third, Patrangelo fourth, Latang fifth, Seth Jones sixth. Mark Giordano, 7th. I think you could put McCar over Giordano. I think you could. <laughs> uh, McCar 8th. Slavin, 9th. Weber, 10th. Suter, 11th. Quinn Hughes, 12th. Parenko 13th. McAvoy, 14th. Hamilton, 15th. And last but not least, John Klingberg at 16th.
0: Oh, yeah. Parenko. It wasn't like top 20. It was the top defenders going into the... But...
1: And this... And <laughs> this list... It was NHL.com ranks top defenseman playing in the Stanley Cup qualifiers, a super sixteen. They always have a super sixteen. This was their super sixteen. Um, and there's a lot of list players in this list that kinda of give me a head scratch, like Ryan Souter. I mean, he's good, but like is he better than like Antonio D'Angelo at times? Okay, I'm not here to like get
0: into like the arguments yeah. that he should be there or not be there, but I just think Cole McCarr is one of those guys that you're going to put up with Roman Yossi, Victor Hedman, John Carlson, Chris Letang, and all the other greats because the kid is only 21 years old, and he is just so good. It's he out. is so good. And, he, and you you put him on a Colorado Avalanche team that doesn't even need him. <laughs> they don't even need him. <laughs> and um,
1: I think if McCarr keeps this, um, this play up, and he continues his play like how he's been playing his first season, and he continues in Colorado, plays fantastic as a team. You can see Kyle McCarr finish as a Hall of Famer.
0: Uh, absolutely. Again, he still's got a long way
1: to go, but well, he's off he to was, a great first start. season. First season, and he had fifty points. Just want to say
0: that. No, he, he's, 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 he's never seen that. A great, many he's off to a great start. Off to a great start. So my surprise is uh, Andre Burakowski. Uh, he came from the Washington Capitals in a trade loss all season, where the Ads only gave up two dra- uh, two draft picks. Uh, he finished with 20 goals, 25 assists, which totaled to 45 points. Uh, this is the most goals he scored since 2015-2016 season, where he had 17. He put 17 pucks behind the net and totaled uh, 38 points. He was a surprise for me because. It's there's an obvious difference when you go from east to west. It's two different leagues, two different, all different teams, all different types of players, all different types of different skill sets in both leagues. But he was playing on really good Capitals teams, and I'm not trying to say Andre Burkovsky isn't good, but there's a lot of players that play on great teams on great lines that can kind of get hidden within those lines, because the lines make those players, if that makes sense. I'm not trying to say that he's not a good player, but a lot of guys get traded from their former team, and their real warts show that they struggle on this end, they struggle on the offensive end, they struggle on the defense, so on and so forth. But I always had faith that he'd play well in Colorado because they have the great pieces around him. McKinnon and all the great guys, but they plugged him right in and he didn't skip a beat this these are stats that you're gonna expect from a guy like him, and I was nervous because i I was nervous because he played with uh he flip flopped all different all up and down the second line to the fourth line in washington and they got really great players in washington and for him to show that it he wasn't he wasn't a, just like a factor in how of those great, like, capitals teams were like, he plays on great lines with great players. But he proved to me that he can play anywhere, put him anywhere, and he will produce. Again, you're not going to get crazy, crazy numbers with uh, Berkowski, but you're going to get a good player that can help you in the long run trying to win a Stanley Cup. And they did that in Washington with him, so. <laughs> But anyway, um, he was my surprise player, and I think he's definitely an X factor to watch in these playoffs because if he can repeat what he did this year and he's won a cup before, he's the guy that has uh, experience in the playoffs when it comes to making deep runs. He's been on the short ends of the crazy, crazy Capitals finishes where they've gotten booted out of the playoffs. So he has all the experience you ever need in a player, and I think he's definitely a guy that's going to be a big voice in that locker room for the Avalanche. So he is my surprise player now disappointment again i'll make it clear like i do all the great teams it's always hard to find a disappointment and i think Caden said he found one Caden, in your eyes who was your disappointment
1: like you said it's hard to find one it's hard to find a disappointment player um for a lot of these teams but i went with philip grubauer uh the starter the supposed starter air quotes run that of the colorado avalanche was traded i think I think 2016 or 17 to the Colorado Avalanche. After playing fantastic in color in Washington, when Hope went down, and he was just a fantastic backup. Uh, he played 36 games, had 18 wins, 12 losses for overtime losses, two shutouts, had a 2.63 and a 9.16. Fantastic numbers for Philip Grubauer. Those are pretty good numbers. My problem with him is that he wasn't. And those numbers can say differently, but he wasn't a very consistent starter. Like he win four games, he would win four games, then he'd lose two, and he'd lose like three. Or he'd win like three games and lose one and then win then lose two. He was not very consistent. Um on February fifteenth, it was their stadium series game against the uh LA Kings, and that was a three-one loss for the Avalanche, and he was injured in said game, upper body, and since February 15th, he was injured, and it brought out the surge The surge of Pavel Francois, the, um, I suppose his backup, he was at one point in the AHL, and he's taking over starting role. I think Francois went twenty one seven one. 7 one I think it was, and uh, I think that if Grubauer doesn't get his, uh, his mind right and his play together in these playoff rounds or even next year, he's getting booted out of Colorado and taken over by Pavel Francois. Fran- Francois. I can't say his last name. It's a very <laughs> hard last name to say. Uh, but my disappointment player is Philip Grubauer.
0: I went a different route this show for disappointments. The Avalanche were a great team. And my disappointments just show how great Nathan McKinnon is. This just kind of spits in the face of what Caden had to say about McDavid, how like he carries Edmonton because he has no supporting cast. But what my disappointment is kind of shows how great, and I mean how great McKinnon is. So I want to give credit where credit is due. I was reading an article last night because I just wanted to make sure I was on top of things when it came to the avalanche. And before I read the article, I kind of already put guys down who I'd see as disappointment. And I'm like, oh, my God, they kind of came up with the same thing. So NBC Sports came out with, they had, they, I saw an article that was about uh, who they thought were surprise people, surprise factors, disappointment and stuff. And what they came up were the injuries. And I'm like, I was thinking the same thing. So I'll just give credit where credit is due. They had a great listed out of the players that were injured. And I'm like, that's perfect for disappointment because I looked at the roster top to bottom. I didn't really see a big disappointment like I normally do with the other uh quote-unquote not great teams. But Colorado's a great team, and it's always hard to nitpick at great teams because half of the time when you're great, all the players are doing what they need to do unless it's just something that's just crazy where they're not good. And – I want to read you off all the players that were hurt in the period of time they were hurt. So, like Katie just said, Phil Grubauer, the goaltender, he didn't even start a game until middle of February. Just think about that. And they were still good leading up to February. No,
1: no, I, I said it wrong. He was injured in that game. And then since that game in middle of February, he was injured. Mm-hmm. And he hasn't played since February 15th to the end of the season.
0: Uh, Matt uh, Calvert, he was out 20 games again. He's not a player that you're gonna be like, Oh my god, he's so good, but he's a good factor on the team. He missed 20. Kadri missed 19 games, that's one of, that's their big fish that they got in the big trade for Tyson Barry. Eric Johnson missed 11 games, and you think I may be done. I ain't done. Cole Picard, the great rookie, missed. 13 games, 13, and, and still look at his stats. Maybe if he didn't get hurt, maybe he cracked 60 points. Who maybe, knows? <laughs> maybe he 20 goals. Maybe, maybe, maybe. Bermakoski, who I just talked about, my surprise player, 12 games. Now, we always say, oh, McKinnon has a great supporting cast, so McDavid should easily top McKinnon for that because he doesn't have a supporting cast. Two of his best line mates slash teammates were out for a long period of time. Rantanen. Take a guess of how many games Rantanen missed last year. Not last year, well, this, this season. Just take a wild guess of how many games he missed. I think he missed 13. 28. 28.
1: Oh, I was way off.
0: 28. And everyone says McKinnon has great support and cast. Landis God's on this list. How many do you think he missed? Landeskog? He missed. Hmm. Only did like 15. So close. 16. <clears throat> McKinnon did it all for this team. It's like, this is why he's the MVP. This is, it's just, they are a top two team in the West. And half of their team was hurt. So that's why I looked at it and said all of them basically missed a good month or two and they didn't skip a beat and that's why I was reluctant to say this player A is disappointment because half of the team missed time with injuries and it's not fair to say, oh, it was a disappointment. His numbers were this because he was hurt and he's still a disappointment. No. So I put it all together to wrap it up in a bow like we like to say on this show. Basically, my disappointment was the injury bug bit every single player basically on this team, and McKinnon still led the way and got them still. to a, led the way and got them to a number two seed in the West. Crazy, just crazy. That is my disappointment. And imagine maybe if they all were healthy and you limit in from maybe twenty eight to maybe like ten games. Maybe they're better than the blues. Maybe. We don't know. No one will ever know, but with those injuries, maybe they would be better. So those are my disappointments. And again, I want to thank NBC sports for having the list of all the injuries because I looked at every single thing. I'm like, I don't know where disappointment is. Everyone seemed to miss time. And they gave me a great article with great players that were out. And I just want to thank them for that. So that is my disappointment. Caden, we'll go to our, Last two things major of our topics before we go to our final question. And that is our biggest win and our biggest loss. We will start with biggest win. Who is your biggest win and why? Uh, so both
1: of my biggest wins and biggest losses are against my team, the New York Rangers. I think they just had a really good season. I know it's saying, oh, it's people who are not Rangers fans, you be like, oh, you just want to talk about the Rangers all the time. You want to talk about the Rangers. You just want to talk about the Rangers, your favorite team. Just Rangers this, Rangers that. No, because it was, in my opinion, a huge win and a huge loss. I know their biggest win for the Rangers was my biggest loss for the Avalanche. But biggest win came on March 11th, 2020, was the last game of the season, of this shortened COVID season. Uh, It was a 3-2 win in overtime versus the New York Rangers. Uh so the Rangers were on a sort of a roll before this la- before this game winning two of their last three. Uh and there is a team that you saw them and they're like, Okay, they're the Rangers, but coming into this game, they're about a point out of the playoffs. And you had a player like Panarin who was still going off, Zubinijad who was still going off. He scored in this game, making his forty first goal. Uh Adam Fox being a great rookie. But um with 13 seconds left, it was a it was a, uh, a 2-1 game for Colorado, and the Rangers pulled their goalie. Shots were going everywhere. Shots were going on net, and just a bunch of saves by Francoise, and Puck had a weird wild bounce, came to Buchnevich, and he pockets it behind Pavel, and he makes it 2-2 with 13 seconds left. And after that late goal... I remember watching that, and I was so happy. I thought, man, the Rangers can actually do this. They can beat one of the best offenses in the league again. And then I don't remember who got the goal. All I remember is that Camel McCart set up a beautiful pass to the game. I forget who got the game-winning goal, as I said. But Knox's 50th point of the season in the last game of the season.
0: I don't remember. was, and in my opinion, it's a crazy game. <laughs> crazy
1: and in game. my opinion, and I know I say this a lot, the after that tying goal, I thought that this was a Rangers win completely. I was okay if they lost it because I got that point, and it was a point we needed. I know that the Capitals did win. I know the teams that we were behind did win, so we were still a point behind after that after that one point get. But it was, it wasn't a game the Rangers should have lost, especially after that late goal. I I just want to say that. We were so close to winning that game, and it just slipped through our fingers because terrible defense
0: in overtime. So, that's your biggest win? Biggest win. So,
1: Jared, I have my biggest win. What's your biggest win? This is coming as a surprise to me. So, I'm excited to hear your biggest win.
0: Yeah, so I'm glad you asked. Uh, my biggest win, I kind of did a combination. I did two, but I'm only going to talk about one game. But in my eyes, their biggest win was being the defending champs on January 2nd, 7-3 to versus the Blues. The score just kind of pops at you with seven goals. That's a lot against a team like the Blues, but this is my reasoning. First, I'll just say McKinnon and Girard had four points each. It was their first win, in a four-game losing streak, where they had lost four straight at home. So breaking the snap like that against a really good team like the Blues, that's a big win. That should be a big motivational boost. But this is what I wanted to talk about. They beat them on January 2nd, seven to three versus the Blues. And then both 15 days later, back in Denver, they beat St. Louis again at home five to three. If you want to come out on top and you want to get that motivation to go for it all, you have to beat the teams that are in front of you, and that's what they did this year. They took advantage of when the, they took advantage of the Blues. they used their speed. They used their puck handling skills. Again, I know the Blues are almost like the same thing. But these two games showed to me that Colorado can hang in there with any of the top teams on a given night if they play well. And they did that. And the Blues and the Avalanche, in my eyes, are going to be turning into – if they're great for the next five to ten years, this will be a rivalry that will be talked about like the – like just to name a few, I guess, like when New Jersey is good, the Flyers in New Jersey is a good rivalry. When the Islanders and the Rangers are good, that's a good rivalry. When the Canadians are good against the Bruins, that's a great rivalry. Like these are games that I think a lot of people are going to be marked that TV networks like NBC is going to want to grab because these are these could be two great teams that can go at it back and forth. And for the Avalanche to basically beat them – back-to-back basically in Denver that says a lot about what type of team the avalanche are and I can guarantee you that some of those players that I listed that were hurt I guarantee you some of them were not even playing that game so just amazing and again I know Tarasenko wasn't playing but the Blues were still a really good team led by David Perron. so as we mentioned in our Louis Blues <laughs> episode and when I gave out my awards he was my most surprising player so it's, it's just, it just shows how great a team the Avalanche are, and when they are clicking on all cylinders, they are not a team to mess with because they will beat you big time. So that was my biggest win. And finally, to wrap up, I'll begin for my worst loss. If you remember last show, I talked about the biggest win for the Rangers was a 5-3 to win at MSG against the Avs. Well, on the flip side for the Colorado Avalanche episode, Today, I'm going with their worst loss. against the New York Rangers. Um, basically, what I said yeah, uh, last show, I'll say it again. Um, Colorado was 25-14-4 coming into the game. They had previously lost to the Islanders, 1-0, which is another – I kind of put them together like my biggest win. The Islanders and the Rangers for me were two games that were just biggest losses. I understand that there'll be games where a top team will get outplayed by a team that's in the middle of the pack or just not a great team at all. Um, The Islanders and the Rangers are two good teams, not great teams, but they're middle of the pack teams that could go on a run in the qualifying round into the playoffs. But these are games that like I felt the avalanche should have won. Again, you're not always going to win every single game on your calendar, but just looking at the, the calendar from, beginning to end these two games were just games that kind of stood out to me i understand they're going from central to more west coast to east coast i understand that uh i get all of that but just just from paper looking on it i just felt the islanders and the rangers were the worst were worst losses for them and the rangers were 19 18 and 4 coming into that game and then just that one other nugget that i read last time i'll just read it again here um The Avalanche were number one in scoring offense at the time when they played the Islanders and the Rangers, and the Rangers were ranked 28th in goals and against and 30 in shots on goal out. So, again, the stats can be misleading sometimes, and sometimes you just lose games. I get it, but the Islanders and the Rangers were worst losses for me. Who's your worst loss? We have the same. We have the same worst loss.
1: (laughs) Uh, as I mentioned, my biggest win was against the Rangers. And my biggest loss is against the Rangers. So they lost five to three on January seventh, two thousand twenty. Um, Avalanche also won two of their last three in the night before. As you just mentioned, they lost to the Islanders one nothing. Um, big thing that I like to mention: it was the debut of the Prince of New York, Igor Shesterkin,
0: which uh, I did say last Rangers episode. If you have not listened to that, please, please listen to it. It was a great show.
1: <laughs> great show. Um, the Avalanche were up 2-0 at one point in the game. And collapsed. They lost 5-3, as I mentioned. After this loss, yeah, they won the past two games. They won 2-3. They lost, lost, however, they lost 7 of their last 10. Which was a team with the best offense in the league. If you're losing 7 of your last 10, you gotta figure something out because something ain't clicking in that mind for you guys. <laughs> something ain't clicking, and you got to figure that out. But they eventually did is they finished second in the entire Western Conference, and there's not much more I can say about this game. You talked about it a lot in depth last week, and you mentioned it uh, just now. So their biggest loss, in my opinion, was their 5-3 loss to the New York Rangers, especially because it was the debut of Igor
0: Shcherkin. So there you have it. it that is our major bullet point segments that we have on the show every week but like I always say but before we wrap up we always wrap up with a question that kind of think gets us thinking a little bit so just hold on for a minute (laughs) as I want to find I want to give credit to the correct uh, web like social media account that tweeted out cuz I thought it was actually a good idea because I knew going into this obviously we were doing the avalanche. So it here
1: was tweeted out by I got it, I got Sportsnet. it. Sportsnet.
0: Yeah, I got it. So Sportsnet of Toronto tweeted this out and you can follow us on Twitter at the Man Rush podcast underscore somewhere there's an underscore in there but anyway. Um, it said two dy- two dynamic duos and then it has the emoji of the star eyes. And then they say, which duo would you want on your team? And I said, oh, this would be a perfect final question for the show because we're talking about the Avalanche and Nathan McKinnon and Connor McDavid always talked about when you talk about Nathan McKinnon and Connor McDavid as the Oilers and the Avalanche. So they said, pick a duo, Leon Dreisaitl and Connor McDavid or Nathan McKinnon and Nico Rantanen. So who would you pick? Who would you pick and why?
1: Are they, bo- are they all healthy? Are they bo- the question is, little, are they <laughs> okay, both so healthy? Okay, so there we go. Yeah.
0: Of course, Kane's going to open up the Pandora box of like, are they healthy? Like, how's everything going? Yes, they're all healthy. They're all what they are now. Who would you pick and why? Uh, McKinnon and Rantanen. Hey, whoa! <laughs> really? No.
1: Okay, and I told you this earlier. I told you this earlier that I'm going to pick McKinnon and Rantanen.
0: And you know I, how... I, I honestly don't remember you telling me that. I just don't. And
1: you know how I am high on McDavid and how I'm high on Drysaddle. But McKinnon and Ranton, and you have McKinnon who scored 93 points and who led that team, who led that team second place. If McDavid can... I forgot how many McDavid scored. I think Drysaddle scored um, uh, 129, around 129, I think. He, uh, like... I lost my train of thought there. Um, They were together, and they finished fifth. Yeah, they finished fifth. But McKinnon had 93 points, and they still finished second.
0: I just want to bring this up. Dreisaitl finished with 110 points. McDavid finished second with 97.
1: See, look at that. They're finishing with 110 and 97 points. And you still can't finish you still you still can't finish top four. You yeah. still can't even make it out of the qual you can't even you still have to fight in a qualifying round. That just shows how good McKinnon and the team around him was. And if Ranson was not hurt, if Miko Ranson was not hurt, this team could have easily been first. You have McKinnon who's a pure playmaker, but who has the speed and he has the hands to score if he needs to. As it shows with the stats that we mentioned earlier. Then you have Ranson who has the sniping ability, who's your pure sniper on that team. While well, you look at McDavid and Drysidel, both of them are looked at as pure playmakers. And you never know who you're really gonna go to, which is kind of a not a bad thing, but you never really know who you're gonna go to. But with McKinnon and Ranson together, you always know I'm gonna feed the puck to Ranson after a beautiful pass from McKinnon.
0: Interesting. I thought for sure you'd go with your boy McDavid. I'm shocked. I'm honestly shocked. I'll I'll take I'll take because you brought up some salient points. Um, I'll talk about I'll go this end of I'll talk about this end of the duo when you talk about both of these duos. McKinnon and Rantanen, like you just said, they played together for most of the year, but. Like I said, Ranson and miss with 28 games. So his stats aren't going to be up to par with McDavid and Drysdale because he was out. And I, I understand you can say, I believe one of them, McDavid or Drysdale got hurt. I can't remember off the top of my head, but someone did. And you can always come back and you say, well, they were hurt and they still put up these numbers. I get that. But just the age alone to me, just tells me give me McKinnon and Rantanen every single day of the week just because of their age and don't get me wrong Leon Draisaitl is a hell of a player especially what he did this year but if you look up at his stats this is just the one outlier where like he just he popped he finally popped and he finally showed what he could do but i'm nervous that oilers fans and people around the nhl starting next year whenever the season will start that they will use this year as a beginning point of where he needs to st- where he needs to finish above 110 it's not easy doing that and i think they're going to tr- i think they're going to like out prove dry that he's not a good player anymore which i think that's going to be completely unfair Basically, what I'm trying to say is I'm definitely going McKinnon and, and Rantanen because of their age, and they complement each other so well, but I just want to slow the breaks down. I think David and Dreisaitl being a top-tier top, top tier duo alongside Crosby and Malkin just because this was the first year that Dreisaitl finally popped. Now let's see what we get here from, the, from here to the end of this career. Don't get me wrong. Probably for the now, I'd probably take McDavid and Drysital and McKinnon and Rantanen for the future. But I just think when I put it all together, I like what I'm getting from McKinnon and Rantanen. Plus, Rantanen—he still has a lot of room to grow. He's still very young as well, and he's going to be there for the future with McKinnon in Colorado. So
1: I hope that kind of—I
0: hope that kind of brought to light kind of these two duos, but. Um, I want to bring it up. Rantan's age, he's 23. Yeah, and McKinnon
1: is very young as well. And if I'm not mistaken, Gabriel Landeskog is... um,
0: He's 27, which is still relatively young. It's still relatively young, but now we've seen in the age of sports now, once you get close to 30... Unless you're a true true star, no one wants to do anything no one wants anything to do with you. <laughs> Once you get to like 30, 32, no one wants you anymore. So this was probably the best year Drysdale could have ever had just because it proves to the Oilers and their fans that he still he still has a long way to go, which he does. And anything's possible from here on out. But I don't know. Maybe they'll make us eat our words down the line and say that they were the best duo ever. I don't know, but I um, just, I just kept on leave wanting more when I saw his stats. I don't know why. It's just like slow down a bit. Like this was just one year. Let's see if he can do it for consecutive years. Like, and that's my one, thing. <laughs> and one thing
1: I want to mention is that I remember. I think it was mid January, early February, maybe December. I can't remember exactly around the time. But it was around the. Start of the new year, Scott had contract talks and he said that I would take a pay cut to stay in Colorado because I want to win a Stanley Cup with this team.
0: That could be eyewash though. That could be but, eyewash. And, yeah.
1: And I know that that's saying something because he's technically not your big star. He is your captain, but you're not looking at a McKinnon. If McKinnon said that, then whole oh, boy. Or if Ranson said that then whole oh, boy. But yes, Lanniscogg said that. And it's good that he has dedication to this team.
0: Again, I just put all what every player says that in any sport. To me, it's just eyewash. Because at the end of the day, if you hit the open market, I guarantee you half of them won't take a a hometown discount. They just won't. They'll go what seems to be right for them and their family and how much money they're getting. It's just at the end of the day. Again, I applaud Landis God because he says, yes, I'm staying here long term. I'll take a hometown discount because I don't think this team's close, then I applaud him for that. But at the end of the day, a lot of players have set that and then they've moved on in any yeah. sport. I'm sure we could list 10 players in any sport has said that and ended up signing elsewhere. But yeah again, I applaud him if he does stay and does re-sign at a home team discount because everyone knows they're gonna have to pony up for McKinnon. They're gonna have to pony up. So uh, that's that. So this was our Colorado Avalanche episode. Um, you can follow us on social media. Again, be, you can follow the podcast at the underscore on Man Rush underscore on Twitter. You can follow me at JaredM24 underscore. Caden, what is your account? It'll be Belint underscore Caden.
1: And do we want to give the fans who are listening a little bit of a teaser for next week's episode? Or do you want to keep it a secret?
0: No, absolutely a teaser. So, last week, a little... Uh, Friend of mine asked me what his. Obviously, he has a favorite team, big hockey fan, big baseball fan, two of his biggest sports. And he texted me, he's like, So, when is the Caps episode? And I'll I'll tell you guys a little inside secret. Next week would have been the Tampa Bay Lightning. But I'm all for the people, I'm all for my friends. So, I put, we decided we would put Tampa on the back burner till like two weeks from now because if you've seen the pattern, we go east, west, and then back to east. So Tampa would be the next East team after. Yes. So, in layman's terms, we're doing Washington next week. So, we are going to do the Washington Capitals. So, Capitals fans, if you're listening, get ready. Your team is next on the Odd Man Rush podcast. Um, I can already think of a couple of guys that I already want to highlight because Capitals were a roller coaster ride of the season. They were strange this year. Yeah. Really, really strange. So that's coming up next week. Uh, uh, we hope you ha- all have a great 4th of July. If you're listening to this on 4th of July, I'm Caden. I'm Jared. This was the On Man Rush Podcast, episode six, episode uh, four of the team. Podcast episodes for kate and I'm Jared. We are signing off. We'll talk to you next week. Peace out, everybody. Stay safe. Stay healthy. We'll talk to you.